In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Last time we stopped at Daniel chapter 2, verse 11. We just get a quick review. So you guys know the word Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. And we will see how God could have worked with Daniel to help him and to develop him and to use him to be a vehicle for his voice. Also, we said the book of Daniel is all about the reign of God. God is in control. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. But God still is in control. And we see that he picked few people and he worked through them. We also said that the book of Daniel is divided into two sections. One that is prophecy and one that's stories. So the first part we're reading right now is all about stories. The last part is about prophecy. And that's why in the Jewish canon... They put Daniel as a historical book. In the, in, in, in the Orthodox canon, we put Daniel as a prophecy because there's a lot of prophecy. We said also the book was written in two different languages, Aramaic and Hebrew. And we said chapter one and the prophecies at the end were written in Hebrew. The, the stories that has to do a lot with the Gentile were written in Aramaic. We also said that Daniel is one of the major prophets and as you guys know that Daniel was in the exile and when he came to Babylon he was about 15 years old and we said that Daniel most likely was one of the he, he a descendant from somebody from a family that is wealthy because usually Babylon will pick the wealthy the most educated and bring them over okay and we said that he went through a training program for about three years him and three young men obviously a lot of a lot more Jewish people but those four are the ones that were faithful to the laws of Moses. They were the four ones that said, you know what? We're not gonna eat this food. We're not gonna defile our heart. Daniel was unique because he was the leader of the group. At age 15, he, he decided, regardless of all the pressure he's in, to be faithful to God. And we also said that Daniel, over his life, he served for about 65 years in public office. So even though he was in politics for 65 years, he still remained pure from age 15 till for almost 70 years until he was 85, 90. And, and Daniel did not have a priest, a church, a temple. He did not have anybody next to him to help him and to guide him. Yet he remained faithful to God until the last day. By the way, Daniel is one of the few prophets, one of the few characters in the Bible that the Bible does not mention any of their, own, any of their shortcomings. Like for example, David the prophet, we will hear a lot about his own mistakes. Daniel was unique. He was not, he's one of the few people the Bible didn't mention any of his uh, mistakes or sins. So last time we said that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream and he was extremely disturbed. And the dream, the main reason he was disturbed when I told you guys historically, the people of Babylon, from every three kings, two kings are assassinated. So in his mind, he thinks that this dream has to do with the future of his kingdom. He thinks that we said the people in Babylon have thought that dreams are a message from God. So he most likely thought that there's a dream that is important, that is significant. God is sending him a message about the future. But he was... He asked something that nobody have ever asked before. He told him, look, I don't only want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. I also want you to tell me what was the dream. 
And we said that Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was extremely familiar with the science at the time, he was the one who did the interviews actually for the three young men and Daniel, yet it seems to me, it seems as he's saying, that he was worried that the scholars and the wise people would just make up something. So he, he gave an order. He said, if you do not tell me the dream and its interpretation, I will kill all the wise men. Remember last time, the wise men did two strategies. Number one, they tried to delay. And then he told them, look, don't worry, I'm, you don't buy time. If you try to delay in order for me to change my mind, it's not going to happen. The second strategy, he told him, you're being unreasonable. Nobody have ever asked for something like this before. Okay? So now, verse 12, this is about the continuation of the response of Nebuchadnezzar. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companion to kill them. He was angry at the way that the wise men responded to him. And they started putting an order out there to start killing everybody. Now, it seems at this point that Daniel and the three young men, they were considered part of the wise men, but maybe they were not part of the conversation between the king and the wise men. Remember, they are young people. So if, if you want to consult somebody, you're going to consult the big guys, the ones who are the professors, the big, the, the, their teachers. You won't bring the ones who just recently graduated. So it looks like they are part of the organization. It means they will probably die, but they were not part of the initial conversations. Now, it's important for us to keep in mind something. There's a significant difference between the wisdom of the earth and the spiritual wisdom. Earthly wisdom can get us far in life. But at some point it fails. The astrologers, the sciences, the, all those people, at some point it fails. And actually even in our days we see it every day. There are many people, for example, that you meet who, is, who are sick and they would live less than 10 years, 15 years over their life expectancy. They defile all scientific knowledge people have. So the earthly wisdom can get us far. The earthly wisdom can get you far in success. You can try to cheat in school. You can try to, try to uh, maybe try to, try to save up some money, try to do all these things. But the spiritual wisdom is the one that takes you to heaven. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 11:25 he said, hey, at this time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. The kind of spiritual wisdom that is given to Daniel and the three young men are a heavenly wisdom that is reserved for the children of God. It's not a wisdom that anybody can take. Now we'll go verse 14. Then with the counsel and the wisdom, then with this counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Iraq, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Iraq, the king's captain, why is this decree from the king so urgent? Why, are you, why do you want to kill them so quickly? Then Iraq made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king 
the interpretation. Once Daniel heard about what's happening, he went to the guy who is, you can think of him, this is the national guard who's going out to kill all the wise men, okay? And uh, uh, Iraq means taste. So, you know, when he goes out, kills everybody. You know, if you want to taste the anger of the king, this is the guy you taste the anger of the king from. So Daniel was not present at this meeting, as I was telling you earlier, but he told him, allow me to speak to the king. Now remember, the wise men asked, tried to delay the king's decision. But Daniel was different, because Daniel assured the king that he will get him the interpretation. He assured him that he will give him the interpretation. And it's, it's amazing that, uh, I don't know how old he is at this point, but probably very young. Maybe if he's just graduated from uh, the Babylon school, he's probably 18, 19. He goes to the king with so much confidence. This is almost like David and Goliath. And tells him, I will get you the interpretation of the dream. And the king, who was hesitant to give the scholars more time, he gave Daniel more time. And it's important for us because the life of holiness and saintlyhood does not start when you're 40, 50, 60. It starts now. There are people in the scripture who walked with God at a very young age. So what is Daniel going to do? He told the king, I'm going to get you the answer. Is he going to go to the library and start seeing, well, what did ever happen before that, uh, that somebody had to, to come up with somebody's dream? Is he going to go talk to some scholars to figure out how can he answer this question? Not at all. At this moment, Daniel held an emergency prayer meeting. And I'll tell you guys something. There are many questions in our life that come through. Many big decisions that come in our life that come through. And we, a lot of times, we do not run to God for help. And if we run to God, it's a small, quick, weak prayer so we can check the list that we prayed. But Daniel said, you know what, let's pray. Is he going to pray by himself? He's going to bring his friends. Then Daniel went into the house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, the spiritual friend, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secrets. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel at night in a vision. So Daniel blessed the Lord of heaven. In this, in this crisis that they are facing, it's a life and death situation. They started to have a prayer meeting. How long is Daniel going to pray for? Until God responds. How long it's going to take, I don't know. I'm not going to leave his presence until I hear his voice. Until I know this is from God. 
Sometimes the human will wants me to be convinced that these things are from God. But unless I feel 100% peace, and unless I'm confident that this is the voice of God, unless I'm not giving up in prayer too quickly, I won't be as confident as Daniel. And the first thing they asked, they asked God, they asked him for what? They referred to God as God of heavens. Because the information they're asking, it's an it's a information from heaven. Only God can give it to them. And one of the, my favorite, actually, and my favorite topic these days is thinking of the mercies of God. You see here, what, what they're asking for, they're asking for the mercies of God. I remember one time, somebody came and talked to me and told me, Abuna, I feel depressed praying, my Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner. It's such a depressive prayer. Why is it all about me, sinner, me, sinner, me, sinner, all the time? But the mercies of God is not about forgiveness only. Everything we do in life needs mercy. A good thought that comes to my head needs mercy. For God to work in somebody else's life needs mercy. For God to help them with this dream needs mercy. For my school acceptance to find my spouse, everything needs mercy. Everything God gives us is out of his mercy. So I'm telling God, God, I don't, will never ever earn your mercy. And I'm admitting that to him. That is the error prayer. That's why we repeat it all the time, because we need the mercies of God all the time. Look, a couple of things. Number one, when Daniel, when Daniel prayed, he went to sleep. This guy, uh, there's, a, there's an order that, to kill him. He's not anxious and worried at night, and I'm Sharfi, I'm, I'm gonna die tomorrow, or he's crying, or I'm still too young for to die, and all this nonsense, no. He prayed, so much confidence in God, and he sleeps. And while he's sleeping, God revealed to him the king's dream in a vision. Think about this for a second. Daniel was sleeping, and God showed him Nebuchadnezzar's dream. How and why? Is he so confident that this dream is true? He's so confident. He, God revealed him this to, to him in a dream. He could have woken up and says, "It's a dream. How do I know it's true?" Unless he has a spiritual wisdom that makes him know the voice of God. And then it says what Daniel did. Daniel says, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What does it mean Daniel blessed the God of heaven? It means, because we say this a lot in Tazbah, it means he's telling God, from you is the blessing. From you are the gifts. We thank you for your blessing. That's what the word blessing means, blessing God. Blessing God is not like you go bless God. No, no, we, God only blesses us. But it's telling him, from you is the blessing. Now look, once Daniel knew the dream, he's so excited, now he's going to save everybody, 
What is he going to do? Is he going to run to the king? No. Not at all. He sees God in front of his own eyes. He starts praying. Daniel answered and said, Blessed is the name of God. The name of God is the person of God. Is the character of God, of who God is. The name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He's giving glory to God for two things, wisdom and might. Wisdom and what and might. Because this situation here, God has given his wisdom to Daniel to interpret the dream and also might, because we will see later on in the dream, this dream is actually a prediction of what's going to happen in the future, the future kingdom. And I want to tell you guys something. The fact that God is infinitely wise is the root of all truth. And the greatest value we seek in life is truth. What do I mean by this? There are so many values that sometimes values compete with each other. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. It is nice for us to be social. It is nice for us to get to know people and meet with them and talk to them and serve them. But sometimes people are called, like the monks and the nuns, to live alone by themselves. So this calling contradicts a principle that we all like. Let's, let's, let's love each other. Let's work with each other. Which principle were, would, would, would supersede the other? The truth. That God is calling somebody is true. And that supersedes every other principle. Like, for example, when a mother is trying to discipline a child, the child thinks the mother is not nice, she's not kind. But there's a truth behind it that the mother is trying to persuade to give to the child. So especially in our culture now, because there's so many contradicting ideas. So the greatest value we try to reach is the truth. And the truth is based on God, who is infinitely wise. Okay? And he continues his prayer. He says, you see, one thing I want you guys, the prayer that he's praying is related to what he has just experienced. This man just experienced a dream that God will show him what will happen in the kingdom of the world. So all his prayers is about that. And in, imagine like if you, if you live in your life and God just made you experience many graces in your life. Or like the way people look at you they see the grace of God in you. God has opened, opened for you some different, different roots of, of intellectual ability that made you do well. His thanksgiving is related to his experience. It's something he lives. It's not a fake thanksgiving. He says, for, and he changes the time and season. God changes time and seasons. He removes kings and rises up king. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those of understanding. We will see that in the dream that God will reveal to him the next kingdoms. You see here, what is he thanking God for? God, I thank you because you change seasons and times. I've never thanked God for this when I was reading that. As a matter of fact, we all love to be comfortable in our own situation. 
And at a moment where we do not know it, God changes seasons and times. Perfect example, COVID. In a matter of a few months, the whole world was upside down. God put us in different seasons in our life. A stage when you are a student, a stage when you're married, a stage when you have kids, a stage when you're making money, a stage when you're poor. Different seasons, and he's thanking God for that. Because every season, I am learning and I'm growing with God. I'm learning and growing with God. He reveals the deep secrets, things. He knows what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. He's basically telling God, God, you know all the critical questions that is in the heart of people. And you will see why he's saying this. Because Nebuchadnezzar, we'll see later on, he was thinking about what's going to happen in the future. So he's telling God, God, do you know what's happening inside the heart of everybody? And without your divine revelation, the human soul will continue to be restless until it finds rest in his revelation. He told him, you reveal the deep and secret things. You know what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. It's such a beautiful, beautiful expression. He tells him, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. God was referred to in the Old Testament as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what's beautiful? Later on in the book, God will be referred to as God of Daniel. Same thing for us. We speak of fathers and mothers who left before us. One day, you will be the fathers and mothers. And he said, I thank you, God, of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have made and have and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's dream. He's using we a lot. Because he's, even though God revealed the dream only to Daniel, who was praying with him? The three young men. And he felt that the specific gift he received was not only for him, but also for the three young men. If God gives you free, if God gives you grace in your life, do not stop thanking him. Do not stop thanking him. God gave Daniel the grace to know the dream. He thanked God. It just blows my mind that he was so confident that this dream is the voice of God. He started thinking without even making sure that the king is on the same page. He's not waiting until he receives the reward from the king to thank God. He sees God in front of him. He sees God in front of him. I'll tell you guys something, and it's special. Very few people thank God in advance. God, I thank you in advance for you have heard my prayer. 
He already is doing that. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Iraq, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Iraq quickly brought Daniel before the king and, and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captive of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Obviously, Iraq was probably happy because a lot of people he's killing are his friends. If he's killing all the wise men and the astrologers, all these are, are his friends. But see, what, see the difference between Daniel and Iraq. Iraq, he went to the king and told the king what? I have found somebody. Daniel, when he prayed, he thanked God for he has heard the voices of all their prayers. This is the difference between a spiritual wisdom and an earthly wisdom. The people who like to appear and take credit and steal credit from others, this is an earthly wisdom. But those who know how to get everybody involved, this is a heavenly wisdom. And Iraq is a little kind of, if you take the word, if you get specific, he told, he told, he told the king what, he's confident in Daniel, but he doesn't look he's so confident. He told him, who will make known to the king the interpretation. He did not tell him he will make known to the king the dream and the interpretation. He probably said, you know what, in case if he misses up, at least what I said is a true statement that doesn't get me in trouble. So he, he wanted to take credit for something that he's not even sure about. He's just searching to take credit. That's basically his name. Then the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. Now, every time Daniel interacts with the king, the Bible will mention his name. Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? The king obviously is very smart. Told him, I don't care what Iraq said. Are you able to in know the, make me know the dream and interpret it? See what Daniel said. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king had demanded, the wise men, the astrologer, the magician, and the, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in later days. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. So Daniel here, first of all, he's not claiming any special power. But he, before he tells the king the dream, this is, imagine, if, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking right, this kid is about 19 years old. He's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world at this time. And instead of being nervous and rushing into the dream, he took it as an opportunity to preach God to him. And told him, what you're asking for, nobody can give you except God. And if you notice, Daniel does not mention himself. He tells him, God revealed this dream because of you, king, not because of me. And he's not really trying to appear humble, but this is his true inner feeling. This is the true heart of a humble person. He sees the gift that God has given him is to benefit of others, not for their own. Not for their own. Only God of heaven and not the God of the pagans 
can do this. You will see here also that when Daniel was talking to the king, he didn't only tell him the dream. He told him the circumstances surrounding the dream. He told him, look, you were sitting on your bed and your dream and vision of your, uh, of your, of your head upon your bed were these. And he's telling him that you were thinking, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in later days. And Nebuchadnezzar looks like he was thinking about what's going to happen in the next days. So Daniel is telling him, this dream is responding to your thoughts about what would happen in the next days. It's important to know here, in this, uh, in, 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 in this point here, that a lot of times we, in our life, we are asked to pray for people. And I think most of us believe that God is able to do anything we want. The question that we always wonder, is he willing? Is God willing to do what I'm asking him to do? We, ha we, don't, we, don't, un we don't undermine the power of God. We usually undermine his willingness. And this is a question of the goodness of God. How good is God? How good is He? And that will answer His willingness in your life. Here Daniel was telling him, I will tell you what will happen in the next days. As for you, king, thoughts came to your mind while in your bed about what would come to pass after this. And who would reveal secrets has made known to you what will happen. So the king was thinking about what's going to happen. And it's a common thought as a king who is the, 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 the king of the greatest empire of the world. He's probably thinking what would happen after him. So God told him, so God revealed to him this, this dream. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone, any living, anyone living. But for your sake, who make known the interpretation... To the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart so he's telling him as i was telling you earlier he's telling him i have no special power god has allowed me to know this for your sake for his sake this dream is for you not for me so let's get a go through the the dream really quickly you o king were watching so it seems like the king was asleep and in his dream he was watching and behold a great image there's a great image and this great image whose splendor was excellent, such a huge image, it stood before you. And it was, uh, and, it, and its form was awesome. So it's just a magnificent, magnificent image, a statue. The image head was a fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watch, while a stone was cut out without a hand, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like a chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this 
prophecy is about what will happen in the future. So basically what Nebuchadnezzar saw, he saw like a huge statue. The head of the statue is made out of gold. And then the chest of silver, the belly and the thighs are made out of bronze. And the feet is made out of iron. And then the, uh, the, the toes are made out of clay and, and iron. So all these basically are kingdoms that are coming after Nebuchadnezzar. Because God was telling him, I'm going to reveal to you what will happen after. I will reveal to you what will happen after your kingdom. And he saw a small stone, nobody knows where it came from, that hit the statue at its feet, which means it came after the lost kingdom, and that statue was destroyed. Remember, you, know, you guys know like when in the Jews in the Old Testament, when they would, they, when, when they have the wheat, so how do they, how do they, how do they uh, get, the, get the grain out of the wheat? They grind it and they put it on a hill. And now once the wind comes, the, 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 the cover or the cover of the, the, the wheat will come and will fly with the wind. And what's left is the grain that you will eat. Same thing he's telling him, all these stones, all these metals were gone with the wind. And that stone was a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. Let's look at this really quickly, okay? So, if you look at the, at the, at the four different kingdoms, gold, silver, brass, and iron, these are four different kingdoms from Nebuchadnezzar to Christ. Okay, each kingdom is inferior to the one after it. So Nebuchadnezzar was the head, was the gold. And he was the prototype of all worldly empires. Actually, if you look in Genesis 10, 8 to 12, it actually introduces Babylon as one of the first kingdoms. Okay? And, 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 and Babylon was a very, even though it was not as big as the other, as other kingdom, but it was actually glorious. Now, the chest and arm were silver. This is the Persian and the Medes that came. So, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, he reigned from uh, 539 to 331. The Persian and the Medes, the, the Persian took over them quickly. It didn't last for a long time. They became one kingdom from 30, uh, 331 to 146. Sorry. Uh, the Persian from 539 to 331. After the Persian, the Greek kings. And the Greek dominated the whole world. They came from 331 to 146. And we all know that the Greek almost took over the world under the leadership of Alexander the Great. At a very young age, he almost swept through the whole world. And there's something, there's actually a famous saying that, that uh, um, Alexander the, the Great whipped when he discovered there was no more world to conquer. This is how big they got. Okay, he kept conquering until he wept. There was nothing, no more to conquer. Okay. The fourth kingdom that came after the Greek were the Romans. And the Romans were extremely strong, like iron. But the, the, later on, the, the Roman Empire, which was one, was divided into west and east. And the west had an Augustus, and the east had an Augustus, and under them, there was a Caesar. So Caesar, basically Augustus is the president. And he picks a Caesar, so when Augustus dies, the Caesar becomes Augustus, and then he picks a Caesar, and so on. So he's telling them, 
the kingdom will come, the Roman Empire will come after this, and the kingdom, the Roman Empire will be very strong, but yet divided. It cannot maintain its unity. This is mind-blowing. This is a, an accurate description of what will happen after the Nazar. And he told him, the stone will come. Look at this beautiful. The stone will come. It's a supernatural stone. Nobody knows where it's coming from. And that small stone has an extraordinary power. And it hits the statue at its feet. And this is exactly what happened. The Christian kingdom, the church was formed during the Roman Empire. And now, what's the difference between the Christian kingdom and all the worldly kingdom? The Christian kingdom is not identified by a place. The king is God, Jesus. And it is in the heart of the believers throughout the whole world. It became a mountain that filled the whole world. How beautiful is that? A very accurate prediction of what will happen after Babylon. After Babylon. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ described himself as the stone. He said, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner stores in Psalm 118, 22. I'll tell you a fun historical facts. When they were building the temple of Jerusalem, they were not allowed to cut the stones or, 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 or make them in Jerusalem. They would usually make them outside. So basically, they do the measurement, they give the cuts, everything, and then they will import them to the temple. And they are numbered. Stone number one, stone number two, stone number three. And history says, tradition in the Jewish tradition, that there is one stone that they found, and it was not, it did not have an, a perfect shape. So they didn't know what to do with it, so they put it on the side. And once they finished the construction of the temple, there was an area where they needed to cover with a stone and they couldn't find the right stone for it. So they took some measurement to send it so it could be made. But then they looked around and they found that stone that they rejected and it fit perfectly where that, that area that was uncovered. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ is telling them the stones that, were, that the builders rejected. It was, it's, a common, it's a common story in their tradition. And you see this in even Matthew 42 to 44. He said, have you ever read in the scripture the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone the Lord has done this, and it's mar marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruits. He who falls on the stone will be broken in pieces, but whom the, the stone falls on, it, cru it will, be cru will be crushed. So the church is the kingdom of heaven that was established. And that's why even God, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, he told him, your faith is the rock in which I will build the church on. Well, verse 36. This is a dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. All that the king is listening. 
the dream is true. You, O king, are a king of kings, for God of heaven has given you kingdom, power, strength, and glory. All the leaders of the world, their power is given to them by God. And whatever the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field, and the bird of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over all. You are this head of gold. If you guys remember in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, it says, And God blessed Adam and Eve, and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, and the, and the air. So God gave Adam and Eve to be in control of the food supply of the world. Have dominion over the fish, the sea, the, the animals. So he's telling him, God has given you dominion not only over human beings, but even over the animals. This is not a, a Jewish person. God shines his righteousness upon the good and evil. He gives everybody of his grace. So nobody can ever say they have not received. He tells him, but after you, After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. So there's a kingdom that's coming, it's a, it's a weaker. And another third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. So only after time of Nebuchadnezzar there will be a deterioration. And then another kingdom will come. And after that another kingdom will come. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks into pieces and shatters everything like the iron that crushes. That kingdom will break into pieces and crush all others. So powerful. The Romans were extremely powerful. Whereas you say the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of iron shall be in it. So he's, imagine he's describing the Roman kingdom in a, in a fantastic details. He's saying the kingdom will be so strong, yet divided. It's just fascinating to me. Just as you saw the iron mix, mixed with ceramic clay, and as the toes of feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as the iron does not mix with the clay. So he's telling him this kingdom, this fourth kingdom, they're very strong, but there's intrinsic weakness to them. They are not united. And this is what happened with the Roman Empire, the West and the East. They, they, they separated later on. Okay? If you guys, I don't, I don't want to go through a big history loop, but I'll tell you a small fun story in the middle. There was a, a, there was a, there was a, a war that's about to rise between Egypt and another country up north. And all what Rome had to do, they had to send a senator. They told them, if you guys do not do one, two, three, Rome will interfere. From how powerful Rome is, the matter was fixed within a few days. So the word Rome was very powerful, okay? Now in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. This is the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all other kingdom. The kingdom of God will consume all other kingdom. It shall stand forever. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without the hands, our Lord Jesus Christ was born without a, without a human seed. And that broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the king 
What will come to pass after this? The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. He's telling the king, the king all what's going to happen. And he's telling him that this dream is for sure the, the truth. And for sure what will happen. Now I want to, I'm going to take the last kid yeah, in a few minutes. I want to tell you guys something. There is a trend now among, yeah, and please pay attention, it's a little bit off topic, but I think it relates. There's a trend now among a lot of biblical scholars who do not believe in miracles to try to discredit any prophecy that is in the scripture. So what would they, would, would they do is, because you, you bring in your own belief into what you read. So what they would say is, they would say, well, the book of Daniel was written in the time of the Maccabees. The Maccabees were 200 years before Christ. And they were during the time of the Roman, the Roman uh, uh, rule. And, and when they give, for example, the New Testament miracles, some of them will say the miracles in the New Testament are just simply parables. They're not real miracles. Nobody can walk on water. Well, we know it's a miracle. I want to tell you a few things about this concept, okay? First of all, we will use the same method that some of these scientists use to explain. First of all, there's a lot of evidence that these ancient cultures use different fine metals and statues. So the dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw is not out of the blue. There's actually a letter that we will read in verse uh, 46. Uh, so in verse 46, let me just read this. Uh, let me just read the. Uh, sorry, verse 47. Let me read this really quick. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. There's actually a letter that was written by somebody called Adon to, Egypt, to, to, to the Pharaoh of Egypt, and he used exactly the same expression. It means that these languages were an ancient language. So when, when you try to date a book, what you're going to try to do, you're going to say, okay, well, what are the languages? Is there any historical evidence of, of languages that being used at the same time? Like if somebody, for example, some of the words we use common now, Google. I'm Googling this. Or dude. Or bro. Or all these words you guys use, okay? So if, I, if, I'm, if, I'm a historical, if I'm a historian, 500 years from now, when I see bro, when I see dude, when I see Google, I know the time frame that things are, Okay? When I see uh, I don't know, Tom and Jerry, then I know it's like, you know, maybe earlier, all right? So here, these words were common. There's a guy who, who sent a letter to the, to, the, to, the king, to the king of Egypt. He told him, to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, thy servant, Adon, and he referred to him, the Lord of kings, the same expression that Daniel has used. Also, there's a big problem if this, if this dream was kind of made up in the time of Maccabees. Why? Because in the time of Maccabees, we're going to talk about this later, there's a guy, his name is Antichus, who came and actually defiled the temple and wanted people almost to worship him. And it would be, it would be very uncommon to have a lot of the stories in the book of Daniel that talks about the worship of the king and the image and all these things at that time. Okay? Now, the other thing that we have to keep in mind is it even, let's say, assume this is true, that the, 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 the book of Daniel were written in the time of the Maccabees. It's still predicted that the church will be built and the kingdom of heaven will come 
at the end of the Roman Empire. And even if you go as far as, as making that assumption, still the church will be built in the, in the, in the, even though the Septuagint was written 300 years before Christ. But I'm telling you this because a lot of times when some people take Old Testament school, they will give you any uh, biblical criticism and, and this is some of the methods, methods they, they discuss. So today we have seen Daniel in his great humility, in his persistent prayer. And we see one of the miracles in the book of the Bible where God reveals his plans hundreds of years before they happen. Even if you say it was written in the Maccabees years, it's still 200 years before Christ came, before the church was established. And we have seen that God is in control. Even though his people are in exile, he still picked four people and he worked through them. Guys, it's almost like in the Old Testament when everything failed, God picked Abraham and told him, I'm going to start a nation with you. Everything failed. God picked a few people to start sending his message through and glory be to God forever and ever. Now we'll, uh, we'll send together to pray and sing.